It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. <clears throat> well, I want to get back into uh, our Ephesians study. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we've been walking through kind of this <clears throat> new section, uh, which begins in verse 15. And it's the uh, first prayer that Paul prays on behalf of those in Ephesus. And again, it starts in verse 15, and uh, technically it goes down to the end of the chapter, though I'm kind of breaking uh, it at 19. But what I want to do this morning, at least just to get it in the context again, is uh, read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and read down to verse 19. So this is what Paul writes, <coughs> Ephesians 1, 15. He says, Therefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Incredible incredible passage. Uh, again, we've been walking through the last couple of studies, <clears throat> looking at verses 15 down to verse 17. And uh, Paul is saying that he has heard something of those in Ephesus, that he has heard of their faith, and he's heard of their love. Uh, that the two identifying marks on the life of those in Ephesus is that they have this overwhelming belief and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and their lives are marked by love for one another. <clears throat> which obviously goes back to that great passage of Jesus who says that they, the world is going to know you for your love for one another. And uh, in verse 16, <clears throat> Paul says, I, I, just, I just cannot help myself uh, because I've heard of your faith and of your love. I just cannot stop but give thanks for you, continually mentioning you in my prayers. And then he begins to get into the actually heart of the prayer itself, uh, which begins in verse 17 and goes down to verse 19. Uh, in the last Ephesians studies, the study that we looked at, uh, we were looking at verse 17, and again, verse 17 has this idea <clears throat> that Paul is praying that God would give you uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, again, this idea of revelation is this idea of like a curtain being pulled back, it's this idea of an unveiling, it's this idea of an opening. Uh, wisdom uh, can either be understood as the kind of the insight or the perception of God, or maybe a better way of saying it is the deep things of God. Uh, in other words, what Paul is asking for is that there would just be this revelation, that there would be this unveiling, that the curtain would be pulled back, and you would begin to grasp and understand the very deep things of God. And again, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I, I am desperate to have this unveiling, this revelation of the, <clears throat> of the deep things of God in my life. And all of this is done in the knowledge of Him. And again, it, it's the, the root word of that is this idea of the gnosko, uh, which we've actually been talking about for a while now, but it's this idea of just, I'm not just knowing about him, but actually knowing him. And so Paul says, hey, that I, I pray that there would just be this unveiling, that, that the curtain would be pulled back, and the very deep things of God would be unveiled in your life, and that you would just, not just have an understanding, not just have a, you know, uh, facts and data about him, but that you just get wrapped up in him, in relationship, and in intimacy, and in oneness. It's just an incredible thought. Now, as we move into verse 18, <clears throat> he continues this. So not only 
that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. But verse 18, Paul continues and says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, uh, of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power. Paul says, oh, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. It's interesting that that idea of the heart, <clears throat> uh, as, as you're going in the, in the Old Testament, uh, the very seat of emotions uh, typically was, was uh, it, it was either like the, the bowels or it was the heart. And the reason the heart became kind of the idea of the center part of who you are is it's, it's the whole, it's the blood pumping organ, obviously. And so the blood that is flowing through every part of your body comes back to the center, which is your heart. And obviously for the Jew, life is in the blood according to the book of Leviticus. And so the very heart or the very essence of a person, the very center of who they are is, is contained in this idea of the heart. So it's, it's not just the, the blood pumping organ. It's really the idea of the seed of the life. It, it denounced, get this, uh, all of the spiritual and physical life. It's the fountain of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. So all of that's contained in the heart, which is why we consistently talk about the heart. Hey, ask Jesus into your heart. And obviously what we don't mean is, hey, let Jesus come to your blood pumping organ and watch the blood pass by. We're not interested in that. What we're talking about is the very essence of who you are, the very center of who you are, the very seat of, of every aspect of your being. Jesus needs to be smack dab in the middle of that. Isn't it interesting that if you're going to place an emphasis somewhere, you don't place the emphasis on the mind, you place the emphasis on the heart. And the reasoning is, is there's a lot of things that you can have in your head, but if it hasn't transitioned to your heart, what, what good is it? In fact, biblically, you recognize that the actions of our life do not start in our mind, they start in our heart. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says that, for from within, out of the heart of men, Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil lie, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So, <clears throat> according to Jesus, murder does not start in the mind. Murder starts in the heart. See, lust does not, does not start in the mind. Lust starts in the heart. So if God's going to deal with an aspect of your life, what is he going to start with? He's going to deal with your heart. Why? Because it is from the essence of your heart, your passions, your affections, the endeavors, the desires, the appetites of your life, from within your heart springs forth the actions of your life. So obviously the heart then becomes absolutely positively essential. Now, as you get into the Bible, the idea of the heart, it's interesting that because of sin, our hearts are wicked. I mean, they're just dead. They are cold. In fact, the whole consumption of our being, the very center, the essence of who we are because of sin, is all wrapped up and consumed with ourselves. And our hearts are selfish. Our hearts just have one drive, and it's just, it's ourselves. It's sin. It's the twisted pollution of the world. In fact, if you're still in the book of Ephesians, flip over a page <clears throat> and look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 18. Uh, Paul is talking about the fact that, uh, that we are no longer living as the world lives, that God has changed us. And, and listen to how he explains this in verse, verse 18 of chapter 4. Paul says that the way that the world, the way that we used to live, 
was that our understanding was darkened, excluded from the life of God through the ignorance that is within them. Due to the hardness of their hearts, being callous, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. In other words, how, how are we born to this world? We are born with a heart that is hard. We are born with a heart that is dark. We are born with a heart that is just twisted and polluted and just consumed with this one desire, which is us. One passion, which is sin. Hey, one focus, which is darkness. And you realize that our hearts are dark, they're damp, they're damned, and they desperately need to be dealt with. That was good. I thought that was <clears throat> uh, I love Ezekiel uh, 36. The whole chapter is phenomenal. But in Ezekiel 36, uh, God is talking through Ezekiel, talking about the fact that there's coming a day <clears throat> when he's going to be shifting everything. And, of course, Jeremiah, Jeremiah uses the language of, hey, in the past, God has written on tablets of stone, but there's coming a day when he's going to be writing his word and his life, his truth, upon the tablets of your very heart. And in Ezekiel 36, there's, there's that same tone throughout chapter 36. And in verse 26, God is speaking through Ezekiel, and God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And it seems like Paul in Ephesians 4 is alluding to that idea that here you are, your heart has been hardened, here your heart has been just, is just calloused and polluted and is, it is full of selfishness. And what is God, what has been, what is God doing? He's really removing that heart of stone. He's really changing your heart. And he's pressing you into a brand new reality, which is you have a heart of flesh, that you have a heart that is made after him, that you actually begin to take on his affections and his outlook and his passions and his desires. So as you, as you get into our passage then, if you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is saying that his prayer for you is that, wow, God would just, that he would unveil the deep things of God in your life and that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that there would be light given to the darkness of your heart. Because according to Paul, your heart has been hard. Your heart is dark. Isn't it interesting that in Scripture, uh, God, as you look at the character of God, God is always referred to as light. There is no darkness in him at all. In fact, let me just give you a few verses here, but uh, John just is rampant with this whole idea. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5 <coughs> says, God is light. And in, and in him is no darkness at all. John 1.5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Or it's kind of the idea that the darkness cannot overpower it. See, darkness cannot just take over light, which makes sense if you ever walked into a dark room, you flip on the light switch, there's no battle going on. Light immediately wins. That darkness has no power. In fact, in one sense, there, there is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is merely the absence of light. And so John says that here is this light, his name is Jesus, and he's shining in the darkness. And the darkness, it's not that they just can't comprehend it, though that's true. It's that the darkness cannot triumph over the light, which is awesome. Uh, John 3, verse 19, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And uh, Jesus says, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What a great summary of our culture. Just here, here's this light that's been revealed. Here's this light that's been given. And yet, what have we done? We've turned and we've embraced our darkness in the hardness of our hearts because our deeds are evil. 
But hey, light has shown up, and darkness cannot triumph over the light. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. That's awesome. So God is perfect light. Darkness cannot triumph over it. And yet, what is our heart? Our heart is full of darkness and deadness, and, and it's been polluted and twisted, and it's just, it's just not going very well. But God is not that way. So what is God doing? God is taking his brilliant light, and, and like, a, like a brilliant surgeon, right, who has a laser, he's cutting out the deadness of our hearts, and he's bringing life to our hearts. Or as Ezekiel says, he's taking a heart of stone, and he's making it into a heart of flesh, that he's changing our hearts and bringing light unto our hearts. And you recognize that our lifestyle, because God is light, should be that of the light. In fact, if you turn over a page again to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul's been walking through that idea, and he says, hey, you should be walking in the same lifestyle as Jesus. But he says in verse 8, he says, for you were formerly darkness. Hey, your whole life was wrapped up in darkness. Your heart was that of darkness. But now, says Paul, you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light. In other words, hey, God has done something in your life, and he's taking that hardness, and he's taking that, that dark heart of yours, and he has made it light. Therefore, walk accordingly. So take all of that and come back into our passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is saying, wow, I, I have this overwhelming prayer for you. I, I have heard of your faith. I, I have heard of your love for one another. And as such, I just, I just cannot help but just keep praising God for that. And then he begins to pray, and he says, wow, I, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would literally give you this unveiling, that he would pull back the curtains and reveal the deep things of God in your life. That you would have this knowledge of him, not just information about him, but that you would get wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with him, which obviously is Paul's kind of his thrust of the whole book of Ephesians. That, hey, would you, just, would you have relationship? Would you have intimacy? Would you, would you just embrace him? And then he gets into it, he continues that idea in verse 18, and he says, wow, what he, has, he has taken the eyes of your heart, and he's brought enlightenment to it. In other words, he's taken the deadness and the darkness of your heart, and he's given you perspective. He's, he's awakened, he's, he's grabbed your eyelids of your heart, which I know is mixing metaphors here, but he, he's like, grabbed your eyelids and yanked them open, and he's forcing light into the depths of your heart, and he's bringing enlightenment to it. And again, this idea of enlightenment is just this idea of taking a brilliant spotlight and shining it, blazing it upon something, that he's enlightening it, that there's this dark corner. So what do you do? You take a flashlight, and you shine the flashlight into the dark corner, and you've enlightened the corner. And it's interesting, <coughs> in, the, in the flow of the passage, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that word enlightened is in the perfect passive participle, uh, which doesn't make sense to most people, which is fine. But the idea is that God's the one doing all the action, that he, hey, you don't enlighten your own heart. He's the one doing the enlightenment. And all of this is taking place in the past, that he's, he's done this. He's, see, Paul's talking to saints, and he says, do you know what God has done in your life? See, he's taken your heart of darkness, and he's like made it a heart of light. And you need to 
walk in that. Now, the reason that God has given and opened the eyes of your heart that it would be enlightened is so that, look at the end of verse 18, he says that you may know three things. And we're going to be walking through those three things in the next couple of studies. But let me just give them to you really quickly. He says, without your heart being enlightened, hey, you cannot fully comprehend these three things. So God has reached into your life, and he's taken your heart of darkness, this heart of stone, this calloused heart, and he's given an enlightenment to your heart so that he can reveal and give you an understanding of three key things. And Paul says those three things, number one, is the hope of his calling. Number two, that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. And number three, is that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power. And again, if you, if you do not have the spiritual insight, if, if you do not have an awakening in your life, hey, if, if your eyes have not been enlightened, there is no way you can grapple with and understand those three things. So here's, here's the question to practically apply this into our life. Hey, we understand that God has, in the past, taken our heart of stone, that, that, that he has taken our callous heart, he's taken the, the darkness that's been, you know, consuming us in our selfishness and our sin, and he's really taken that, and he's brought an enlightenment, that he has placed the spotlight of his presence upon us, and he has really changed our hearts. He's changed our passions and affections and desires, which is incredible. But the question then becomes, hey, are there any shadow areas left in your life? Because it's interesting, as, as we walk through the passage, hey, your heart must be enlightened if you're going to truly understand those key three things that Paul is talking about in the passage. But it's interesting, though God has done everything in the past to bring about light into the midst of your darkness, because he is light, and hey, there is no darkness at all in him. And if he, if he has done all things necessary to take you from a heart of stone to bring into a heart of flesh. He's done all things to take you from a heart of darkness and bring you to a heart of light. The question then becomes, are there any areas in my life that are still in the shadow lanes? Are there any crevices or are there any cupboards that still have an ounce of darkness? Because the reality is, hey, there is no darkness in, in God. And as his child, there should be no darkness within me. So are, are there areas that I've been hiding away? Are, are, there, are there aspects, are there habits, are there attitudes, are there motives, are there addictions? Are there, is there anything going on in my life? Whether it be my, in, in the tone of my voice, whether it be my actions, whether it be my thought process, in, in the motives of, of why I do certain things, is there anything in my life that is bent toward myself? Is there any selfishness? Is there, is, is there any darkness? Is there any pollution? Is there... Is there anything of the junk of the world invading my life? Is there still sin residing anywhere in my being? Because if there is, God wants to bring enlightenment to you and get you out of the darkness and get you out of the shadows and bring you into the brilliance of the light, which is himself. And you recognize that has taken place in your life if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, hey, you need to be enlightened. But it's amazing to me, the moment you're enlightened, God gives you the ability to understand his word and his life on a whole nother level. And you have to have that. And it's interesting, as I've been walking through scripture just in, in the season I'm in, I'm becoming more and more convinced that there cannot be shadow areas of our life. And we live in a culture and a day and age in this postmodern goobly guck stuff that we live in. 
that it's just everything's okay and you can just kind of merge all things together and, and hey, it's okay to call yourself a Christian and yet walk in sin, you realize that there's none of that in Scripture. That if you're going to call yourself a child of God, hey, you've got to live as, as he lived, which is righteous and holy and impurity. And, hey, I, you've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. Well, that sounds impossible. I know. Which is the phenomenal reality of Jesus. Because it is impossible in our own ability. But he is the light. And he's come to live inside of you. Which means he has the ability to allow the light to shine forth in our lives. And for us to live in such a way that we, in and of ourselves, in our own abilities, in our own intellect, in our own strength, in our own resource, cannot live. And yet you can live in the light as he is in the light because he lives inside of you. So, hey, can I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit today just press your life? And if there's any shadow areas, if there's any areas of darkness, if there's any twistedness or perverseness or just junk in your life, if there's any cupboards that he has not opened up, if there's any shadow areas of your life, hey, would you let him shine his brilliant spotlight upon it and change it? They need that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And uh, we just uh, thank you that there is no darkness in you whatsoever. That, Lord, as we come to you, we don't, we don't have to second guess, and we don't have to say, well, I wonder if, if he's like this. Lord, we, you have revealed how you are and who you are. And Lord, I'm just flabbergasted by the fact that, that you are light, and in you is no darkness at all. And yet, scripturally, the way I was birthed, I was full of darkness. My heart was calloused and hard. And, and yet, Lord, when I embraced you, what you did is you, you took my heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. That you took the darkness and you shined your brilliance upon it. That you spoke light in the midst of my darkness. And you took all that was dark and all that was hard and you brought life in the midst of death, light in the midst of darkness, and you enlightened my life. Lord, what an amazing reality that we have as Christians. And Lord, as we continue in the passage, Lord, I, I, I'm excited that because that you've enlightened my life, that I can know the hope of your calling and the richness of the glory of your inheritance and the, the overwhelming power of who you are. But Lord, I just, I just want to invite you afresh this morning to, to, to come in and may your spirit just invade every aspect of my life. Hey, would you examine my thought process? Would you examine my language? Would, would you examine my actions? Would you examine my motives? And Lord, if there's any shadow areas, if there's any hint of darkness, if there's, if there's any twistedness, if there's any pollution, if there's any sin, if there's, if there's, if there's even an ounce of shadow, God, I pray that you would deal with it. Because we were not made to walk in darkness. We were made to walk in the light as you are in the light. And Lord, I don't want to be like John 3 where the whole world, world is just consumed with and they love the darkness because their deeds were evil. Lord, I want to have a hatred for the darkness. I, I just want a distaste for the darkness. I just, I don't, I, I want to get so wrapped up in you and my, my eyes are so glued upon you that that incredible hand that the, hey, as I turn my eyes upon Jesus and I look full in your wonderful face, that the things, the darkness of this world, it just, 
it just fades away. I just, there's no interest in my life for it. So, Lord, I just give you permission to do whatever is necessary in my life to bring that about. And may we as believers be known as the ones who bear the light because we are the ones who bear the light whose name is Jesus. So, Lord, would you just glow in and through our lives? Would you just would you shine forth through our life in this dark world? And would you bring a greater enlightenment? Would you just emblazon yourself upon this world afresh? Because not only what my life needs, Lord, but what this world desperately needs is, is light. Because it needs you. So, Lord, shine all the more brilliant today. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are in this process of sanctification in our lives, that you are ever continually removing more and more shadows and darkness from our life. And you, can, you are so faithful to reveal things in our life that needs to be dealt with. Now, we don't have to go seeking after it, but, but you are faithful to reveal it. But Lord, I pray that if you reveal anything in our life that needs to be dealt with, Lord, that we would obey and that we would press in, that we would repent and we'd allow you to deal with the shadow areas of our life so that our lives would be marked by light. We love you. Thank you. Just thank you for what you're doing in these days. Let's give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.